Chris Wilson is an oracle when it comes to sales. He not only sells his own business, but sells for his clients, providing an outsourced marketing department for small business. Not only this, Chris also trains and coaches directors and management on lead generation, sales, and client retention, as well as success mindset, positive habit setting, and much, much more. Chris, thank you very much for fitting us in to what is obviously an incredibly full schedule. It's a real pleasure. Happy to support and however I can. Thanks. And thanks for coming on because I think our listeners are going to get some real good, really good value from your journey, from a few freebies uh, of what you offer. Well, every business needs numbers. Every business needs revenue. Without revenue, you don't have a business. So uh, I think it's important to talk about sales. And regardless of what we do, we're all in sales, as, as especially as business owners. Uh, we wear so many hats and sales is one of the biggest hats in a lot of ways. So yeah, really important. Yeah. And uh Probably nobody feels quite as passionate about sales as you do. And sometimes you you wonder why, if you are running a business, how come everybody else doesn't see it the way I see it uh, in terms of customer referral or retention or the complaint? If it's your business, nobody will ever quite see it the same way you do. And there's nowhere else to pass the buck to. It stops. So you've been self-employed for quite a few years now, Chris. How did you get started originally? What was the push well, it's one of those things that sometimes somebody else needs to push you. And often you find people in business take that leap of faith because somebody said, uh, it, it's time to go, lad. And that's what happened to me. I, I had a regional director and we just didn't really see eye to eye. And even though I was pushing the numbers very hard, uh, the company was run on a slightly more profit-centered approach than I was willing to take. And I didn't have the support that I needed. And one day we just had a little meeting in the garden and it was quite clear that my approach to customer service didn't align to his view on profitability. And uh, I was asked to tend my contract and uh, look after my garden for a few months. But actually that was quite cool because I had this sort of business plan that I'd been sat on for too many years. Uh, so the comfort rug was taken from underneath me and, uh, and off I went. Did you have any fears at that point? You know, you, you go from a nice, comfortable corporate environment. You could easily have jumped into another nice, corporate, comfortable environment, um, but you jumped into self-employment. So were there fears around that? Without a doubt. And I still think that today, I, I still fearful. You, I can never be complacent that everything is is great. Look at the pandemic. We went from invoicing a great amount to April 2020, 14 pounds. Uh, so I think every business owner still has that two o'clock in the morning cold sweat thinking what happens if and will we lose this and uh, the latest client complaint or or rebuffle suddenly becomes this manifestation of oh my goodness this is it uh, everything's falling apart on me but I was quite young then I guess I was just approaching my 30s and I think as you are more youthful you are more inclined to take risks and I think as you get older, maybe you become more risk averse because the implications are not just down to you, but also others that are dependent upon you, whether it be family, friends or even uh, children. But at that time, I was very much on my own. And it was a case of, well, why not? Because you have been pursuing this potential avenue for too long. And I'd rather pursue it and find out that it didn't work than look back and think, what if? Absolutely. Were you scared of not doing it then, in a way? 
you've had, you had that plan formulating was it it was definitely time to do it so were you scared of if you didn't do it now what would happen in a way I, and perhaps that's also i would never want to be grateful to the person that caused me an awful lot of stress but perhaps he just detected that i wasn't quite aligned to where we needed to be and perhaps i had another eye on a different direction so you know maybe it was the aura of i wonder what if that was actually causing that detachment of two people thinking, are we both on the same page and are we both going in the same direction? Because I had my eye sort of looking over here, thinking, I wonder what would happen if maybe, you know, I do believe that we give off really big signals to people around contentment and rapport and a relationship. And perhaps he just th thought, do you know what? I'm going to push this one because I don't think that Chris is quite on the right bus. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, getting off that bus and onto the right bus, even if it's behind, it's going in the right, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, and the worst thing is when you're sitting on the bus and you know that you're on the wrong bus and the, the further that you sort of go down that road, the more frustrated and discontent you get. Uh, and then that builds into animosity and friction. Uh, so if you are finding yourself right now listening to this podcast thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Well, there's a number of questions that you could ask yourself. And the, the one that I talk to lots of clients around is, what's the worst that could happen? Can you visualize yourself in a year from now? What does success look like in a year from now? Well, that's great. How can we take the first step towards that? And how can we make the consequences of failure not totally debilitating? So perhaps we can just test something for a week and see how that felt before you go 52 weeks into a, you know, a full um, entire commitment of, of newness. But yeah, if you're sitting on the bus thinking I'm going in the wrong direction here, uh, that's, that's, not, that's not a nice journey to take. Absolutely. And the longer you sit on it, the more you go in the wrong direction and maybe the harder it gets to get back onto onto track it probably is the be best time to take action the mind has a wonderful way of uh of telling you no paul we shouldn't do that no come on paul what are you thinking uh paul come on you that's really not what you what you want to be doing yeah the, the mind is a constant second play of different emotions one thought comes up and then of course that the imposter mind says uh, no 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 you have no right to even start thinking that paul get back in your box of uh, of contentment and comfort uh, and don't think those silly brave entrepreneurial uh, risk-taking thoughts absolutely and that's why i'm suddenly doing a podcast after five years of uh, procrastinating about it and telling myself no you don't you can't do a podcast there's nothing interesting to talk about and actually you know after 24 years self-employed and the number of people that I've met that have got interesting stories uh, we've just got to get some of those stories out there and I don't think you don't have to be a Richard Branson you don't have to be a Bill Gates to have an interesting business story you know we all have a story behind what we're doing and for so many of us it is it is really interesting yes and probably your podcast journey wasn't nearly as difficult as you made it out to be over those months and uh, weeks um, procrastinating about it when you actually pressed record and started talking you thought what's the crack this really isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be absolutely absolutely so you describe yourself as a sales coach I think primarily, um, although there's all, all that mindset stuff which um, sort of sets you apart. But what what makes you different to the sort of run of the mill business coaches, or do you think all all business coaches have a niche, and maybe they just haven't found their niche yet? I, I think the more niche you can be, the easier it is to then 
direct yourself to the person with the pain point to fix or the priority to solve. If you become generalistic and I can help anybody with anything, I think that's very difficult, particularly with the mind. The mind has something called the reticular activating system and it, and it looks for specificity. So the more specific you can be around the problem that you can fix or the solution that somebody's looking for, the better the mind is to latch onto that. Uh, and it's the same as when you buy a car for the first time, you suddenly see the other people buying the same cars as you've got because your mind is now looking for the same thing. So from my perspective as a sales coach, I am a sales coach, but very, very focused on the small business owner. And then particularly even on the small consultant or the small practitioner that is working in their own niche. I don't want to be working in massive teams. I love the small business arena. I love the agility and the variation that goes with the small business, and then even niching down to things like uh, retail and very much customer service orientated aspects of my sector. So that is where I am. What makes me a little bit different? Well, I still practice the, the do. So we do have a lead generation team and we do outbound lead generation. Some people call it cold call, call calling, telesales. I call it professional telemarketing. And we're still practically doing that every day for clients, which means that I have to construct scripts. I have to construct avatars and try to understand what campaign they're trying to run. And because I'm physically flexing the sales muscle every day for clients, I do believe that I'm not preaching out of a textbook. I'm not preaching out of something that's five years old. We're literally working with what happened yesterday on the phones, what worked, what didn't. Uh, and therefore, we can apply that to uh, sales coaching, sales enablement. And is the mindset coaching all part of the same whole, if you like, the same need? Does a salesperson need that mindset training, typically? Well, we all need, I think, habit-forming mindset. We can all wake up tomorrow morning and give ourselves permission to have another five minutes in bed. But that first five minutes is already started to say to you that you're happy procrastinating because the first task that you asked your body to do was to put your feet on the ground and get up. And yet you've already decided that you'll have another five minutes. And that's a slippery slope, particularly if you're in sales or in business. So the mindset of, of taking proactive action, putting the habits in and just going that little extra mile. So if you were just to, just to do three extra sales calls per day, five days a week, that compounds to 780 extra sales calls per year. So it's not the hundred that you do, it's the small little things that you aggregate over time and time and time again that makes the big difference. It's not the burger and chips that you have uh, today that makes you fat. It's the fact that you have another burger and chips tomorrow, the cookie on Thursday, the latte on Friday. It's these small marginal canes that add up over time to be hugely destructive. And if you apply the same mechanic to business, giving yourself permission to put it off till tomorrow or not look at the thing that's pertinent to your profit line or your balance sheet or your people, those problems don't go away. And the more you put them off, the more toxic that I think they, they, they become. Yeah, yeah. So the mindset is a really powerful thing to focus on from a business owner. And certainly habit forming is a really big part of what I try and do with my clients. Just take small steps every day. But for goodness sake, once you lose the habit, from one day to the next, it's no longer a habit. It's something that you've got to start again with. Yeah, and you've taken that 
to a, an extreme degree personally with the running, you know, miles ahead of my marathon, <laughs> single marathon that I've completed. Um, so how, how does that fit in? Uh, how do, does, do those two things fit in together? Well, I was uh, I was probably knocking on 15, maybe 16 stone. Uh, I think my doctor actually said that I was verging on obese, maybe clinically obese. And I'd said, well, crack on, let's, let's not allow this to happen. I don't want my kids uh, looking at me as fat granddad that can't run around the garden and I had this sort of epiphany that I wanted to be healthy dad healthy granddad and uh, and and try and be as fit and as as healthy as possible so I committed then to triathlon and I've gone a bit extreme I've done now full distance Ironman uh, in Nice I've done ultra marathon this year I finished a 24-hour running challenge which was 130 kilometers in a day so yeah I, I do maybe get some people call it obsessive some people call me a little bit weird because I, I like to suffer but that's just what makes me. I, I, I'm a very big believer of what you say doesn't hurt me because until it's in my own mind, then it, it's not in. Yeah, absolutely. And as as a one-time spectator of the Ironman in Nice, yeah, I've got an idea just how hard that is. <laughs> just to watch is hard, let alone actually take part. Yeah, it's a great event, uh, but it is a war of attrition. Uh, that last marathon is up and down the promenade three times. It was 36 degrees. And the fact you have to go through through the finish line twice before you get to the real finish line, that's a real battle of wits when you, you know, those are that are lovely. So your loved most dearest and, uh, and, and cherished are cheering you on, but you know that you've got to go past them again another two times before you're going to get the hug that you need. That's uh, that's quite a tough challenge to, to to get past. Well done. I'm very, very impressed. Well, the time wasn't fantastic. It got done. It got finished. But uh, yeah. That's an achievement. And well done to you for your marathon as well. That's, uh, that's, that's an amazing achievement in itself, a marathon. Some people say they can't, you know, run 200 metres, yet you managed to do 26.2 miles. So uh, that, that, that's no mean. Yeah, I was quite pleased with that at the time. Yes. You can't suddenly decide to run a marathon. You must have also chunked it down to decide that you were going to run 26.2, but that probably took you six months, probably, did it? Yeah, yeah. It probably took longer in mindset terms. I decided 10 years previously, but then I got injured and dropped off running and then thought, right, I'm going to give it another go before I'm 50. Um, so I did it in my 50th year. And then, yeah, six months of training. My knee had healed up by then. Um, changed running style, to changed trainers, got on a proper training program and everything fell together and worked because I did as I was told and got the habits and up every morning. And you did a great thing there. You, you talked about the fact that you wanted to do it before you were 50. And if, if people can apply the same mechanic to, I must do this by this date, then it becomes very empowering and the more that then you can pass that message across other people and they sort of become your accountability partners i also wanted to do an ironman before i was 50 and it's funny how we both had this driving purpose to suddenly do something by a certain date for a certain milestone and i, I now use that i i must do this by this date uh today's the 2nd of august and i always plan on the first of uh, the month to review and renew and then reset for the next month and it's just part of the habit that i have is to look back to look forward before you delve into the next month. Otherwise, you just kind of find yourself falling into the month without any purpose or, or reason what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. Probably a habit I need to get into because I fall into the beginning of the month with no real purpose and just pushing on, pushing the clients through, getting more clients. But yeah, no no real focus on that sort of, that sort of planning aspect, which is probably what I need to get involved in a bit more. Obviously, you've got this sales background, um, and a successful setup 
in sales. Why train people to do what you could do for them and probably make a little bit more money? Or a lot more money. What's that? Uh, what's that cliche statement? Uh, give a man a fish for the day, and you'll feed him for the day. Give him a, a rod and teach him how to fish, and you feed him for life. That's that's what I would like to try to achieve for others. I think in the U.S., sales professionals seem to have a, a really lovely view of themselves by way of reputation and respect. For some reason, in the U.K., we seem to be a little bit more belittling and demeaning of the sales professional, and we. We start phone calls with "I'm sorry," and we come across as meek and humble, and we're bashed by, you know, the indoctrination of cold calling and the, these horrible people that are ringing you or, or or bugging you. So, if I can try to get people to think differently around the profession of sales, then that's that's really nice. Because let me tell you, for you to sit on the end of a telephone and be told no 90 times a day in search of the one person that says, yes, can we meet? Let's talk. That's a hard, hard thing to face up to every day by way of mental health or rejection. A lot of people would rather stick pins in their eye than be told 90 times in a day, no, please go away politely. So if we can try to enable people to be not just good sales professionals, but also skilled sales professionals that know that the art of question the art of objection handling, or the art of even positioning their statements to be heard and received with a lot less disrespect, then that for me would be a, a, a good result. Yeah, absolutely. And so in terms of um, sort of previous clients, pre- where you've been up to now, what's been the biggest challenge that you've had to face since uh, being a business owner? It's all about the business owner, unfortunately, uh, is a lot of the challenge that I'm trying to now resolve is that I don't want the business to be all about me. So it's about trying to design a process, design a system that means the business can carry on with or without me. And also people are buying some of the systems and ideologies of what I'm trying to create, as opposed to, I must speak to Chris or I must speak to Paul. If the business becomes too much about the individual and not enough about Acorn, in your example, then the business owner never goes on holiday. They never have time off. And I think it, 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 it makes it difficult to value because it's too much around the business owner. So that's the challenge for me is that I am the voice and the brand and the name, but I try to make it about the we. I try to talk about Adamo and the branding is all about the brand as opposed to me. So that's the challenge is that I want people to try to buy the brand and the systems and the process and the thought process without being too much reliance on on me individually. Yeah, yeah. And what's been the the greatest success? I, I think it was COVID in terms of that moment when literally everything fell off the cliff and I literally, I invoiced £14 in April 2020 and establishing the fact that I can still do online, I can still mentor people and I enjoy the whole aspect of a video and group coaching and making those come to life with a certain amount of energy and involvement and inclusion. So currently the challenge has just been, I, I won't use the word beginning with P, but it's just understanding that there's another way of working and you, maybe you shouldn't rely on just on a pandemic for you to be agile. And if you can imagine what's the worst that can happen and how can I put a contingency plan in place so that if the worst does happen, I'm ready for it. What do we say? We were only working at maybe 40% of our potential all the time. So 
taking a step back and thinking, am I really working this as hard as I can? Look at the Olympics, look at Adam Peaty, look at Tom Daly, look at the British cycling team. They don't accept this is the status quo. They search and look and constantly look for that tiny marginal gain that they can build on time and time and time again. So I think that will be my greatest success at the moment is just applying a different thought process to COVID resilience and continuing to just think, am I happy? Am I not? If I'm not happy, where should I go? And how can I be better? Yeah. And I think one of the big changes has been in our productivity in that we're not traipsing two hours in the car to go and see somebody for an hour's meeting and then two hours back. That's, a, you know, that could be five hours for a one or a two hour meeting. And so getting that all that time back that, all you know, if you're sitting in the car, you can be on the phone, but you're, you're not as productive. You're not being able to take notes. You're not able to fire off an email to somebody. So I think we probably expect a lot more of ourselves now than we did previously in a lot of cases, and we're able to produce a lot more. Yeah. Psychologically, we have gone through the, the biggest pattern interrupt ever. And a lot of social media links I've seen recently have been all about, can't wait to go to a physically distanced uh, meeting, can't wait to meet somebody. I've got my first client meeting today. And I certainly, I've had a few of those and I've come back and gone, hmm, uh, well, that was great, but I literally wasted 45 minutes on the M1. It was just as effective. I, I can't I can't see myself doing that every time. And the client also said the same. They said, it was great to see you, but actually, can we just do it virtually next time around? Because I, I, <laughs> I want to have three hours back of my day that I didn't need to do uh, in the physical context. So many people say, oh, I can't wait to get back to physical meetings. But our minds have changed, I think, irrevocably in that we've done something massive as a society and anybody who thinks that we're going to go back to the way it was in 2019 maybe just needs to understand that if I felt differently, you're probably feeling differently about your productivity. Everybody's th thinking the same. So how do we continue to have this hybrid, both physically and online mechanic to meet, interact and evolve? Yeah, I agree. And it is going to make a huge huge difference to a lot of people that suddenly they don't have to live in city centres they don't have to live in within commuting distance of London or Manchester or Leeds they can they can be anywhere and do the same job you know I could be sitting here on the moon if Elon Musk has got his finger out 10 years earlier and you wouldn't necessarily know yeah I know somebody that they're facing a real problem trying to get contact centre staff from the locality that they're in and they said I'll tell you what let's try something different let's put a recruitment campaign into the South Wales Valleys and they've done that and they're, they're able to go and find a real talented workforce who are able to work from home, perhaps save a little bit on their employee margin as well, because the, the rate of pay is less. And yet the trial has been so successful. There's no attrition. There's no, the recruitment campaign was brilliant. And that's the great thing about being a business owner, particularly in small businesses. You don't have to worry about moving the tanker. You can just go, okay, Monday morning, this is how we're going to now do things. And we're going to change it on the spot. And never underestimate that as a small business owner, how quickly you can change. You don't have to go through, you know, seven head office layers of bureaucracy and then get all the process manuals and then get all the changes signed off by the shareholders. You can do it on Monday morning at the flick of a switch. Absolutely. And yeah, you, you said very early on in our conversation, agility. That's what we have 
that they don't have, I think, um, the ability to react very quickly or even be proactive and say, well, yeah, this is, this is what's coming. So this is what I'm going to change before it arrives, not as a result of processes that have been enforced on me. Yeah. And as the business owner, there's two questions I always love to ask my customers is why was it you bought from us on this occasion? And then you do more of that because the market is telling you immediately what's working. And if you do get the rejection, you, you ask the question, well, why? What, why was it that we weren't successful on this occasion? And then learn from that and quickly change that. Because those two clues from the market are so fresh and so current. Fail to ask the question and you, you're ignoring the jewel and fail to then act on it. You're just being complacently ignorant. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, that's fair. So going back to the very beginning, how did you fund yourself as a startup? How did, how did, where did the money come from and how did you survive until the money started coming back in again? Well, I guess I was lucky a little bit because I, I did have a, a severance contract which gave me a gardening leave term of, uh, of six months. So I had some protection on that point of view. Uh, and, and that was that was it. And within three months, I was turning over uh, client revenue and I was invoicing. So it was enough there for me to to know that it was going to be okay. So it was self-funded with a little bit of safety net from a uh, corporate sign-off. Yeah. Would you handle things differently, not just at the beginning, but since then financially, knowing now how successful it's been and how you've grown? You know, would that have been, could it have been a faster rise if you'd have pumped more funds in if it would you know would that have been beneficial well I, I wouldn't have said that my I wouldn't have said that my whole journey has been uh, has been successful from a financial perspective I, I've certainly had some I've had some pretty low days and I've had some uh, big learnings uh, I wouldn't want anybody to sit here and go oh wow Chris is uh, you know the financial master because I, I haven't definitely had that and I, I'm still learning today and the uh, the biggest learning I can have is that you can't put your head in the sand if something's an issue, you just need to confront it and deal with it because it doesn't go away. And the longer that you sit and look at something, the worse it can it, it can ever be. So my learning on finance is that I'm still learning and the numbers are key and never, ever be complacent about your numbers because the, the when you see it's... Uh, when you see it moving in the wrong direction, it's too late because it's already happening. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to anticipate it. Going back to the flying analogy, it's like flying a helicopter or hovering a helicopter. You feel that it's going to move before it starts to move and you correct that movement before it even is percept- perceivable by a passenger um, and you're doing that constantly. Yeah, and that's the same. It is, it's the same as... Um, running a business isn't it you've got to have a feel for how things going well are things not going right today that are going to affect the bottom line in two months time or three months time completely but from i'm sure from your point of view it's using the fine analogy it's like you you need to have your warning lights uh, and the, you know your numbers need to give you warning lights uh, and when you're in the cockpit and you see the red light come on to say that we've got a problem with the pressure in engine four what you don't do is say to the co-pilot i'll just smash the light we'll ignore that you know you take notice of it land the plane safely and then get the air flight engineers to to check out the engine so i guess in business it's about making sure that you've got enough warning indicators that you are testing and measuring and looking for and then when they do pop up as a flashing orange light that you then take notice of it and and find out what's causing the problem yeah absolutely yeah but i mean taking that one step further how how the training goes is you're listening for noises that appear unusual you're looking for indications that are a little bit odd 
before you get that red flashing light. So hopefully by the time the red flashing light appears, you're actually on the way back to the airfield already and ready to land, uh, knowing that there's a problem because you're you're almost part of that machine. You're at the heart of it. So you feel every moving part and every every sort of sound goes through you. And it's, that's what I'm getting at. It's the same as the business, really, that the business owner really is the center of that. And if something's slightly amiss, even if it's at the far far end of an office, you should get a feel for that and should get a sense of yeah, what's going on. How are we going to fix that before it becomes a problem? Because they could be talking to your customers in the wrong way, over-promising or not giving the right customer service, that sort of thing, which then it has a knock-on effect, but it could take a couple of months and then it could be four red warning lights or four engines going and and something's really, really wrong. Of course, the the consequences of failure, ignoring those red lights on the plane, you know that ignoring them will result in 20,000 foot of pressure loss and probably 500 fatalities. And yet in in our personal lives, we can quite easily chomp into that burger with fat chips and the sauce and then follow it up with a strawberry sundae and think that's okay. But if I flashed a signal up to you to say, in 10 years time, Paul, if you carry on doing this, you're going to have fluffy arteries, you're going to have a coronary heart attack, and you're going to be saying to your kids, uh, I've died 15 years too early. As soon as you bit into that burger and saw that epiphany, you'd probably find that, that burger is the worst thing tasting imaginable. But we don't apply the same consequential thought process to our daily routines and habits, because the consequences of failure become so elongated that we don't immediately see the impact. And that's what I really try to get people to think about in their habit forming is, yes, it sounds ridiculous, but just by making the choice today of that or that, over the long term, when you compound that, you're making huge, huge strides forward. But by resisting it and staying still, you're actually going backwards and the consequences will be even more stark for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. So when all this started, I'm changing the subject because I'm not comfortable. (laughs) Not comfortable talking about habits. <laughs> um, when all this started, there was, you said you, you had that business plan sort of in the back of your mind. Was it a real plan? Did you write it down? Was it a, I, this is what I'm going to do? And where you are now, is that what that plan looked like? It was, it was fully written. Yeah, I had a full business plan uh, and I had the model, but it's not what I was doing do now. It was then a, a conference at events, venue finding uh, service that I was offering and, uh, and, and ran. But as we went through that, we were beginning to sell more exhibitions, more tickets, more sponsorship for people. And we had an in-house team doing that. And that became quite clear that uh, I was more congruent and enjoyed selling more than I did the sort of what I found quite procedural and admin focused of of event finding and it harked back to my hotel manager days and I was a sales manager business development manager and a director of sales first and then a hotel manager second so I spotted an opportunity within this sort of conference and event finding area but slowly but surely my heart went back to selling and that's then why I went off and started to do my uh, sales niche, sales enablement, sales training, and sales coaching business. So was that a was that a pivot in the one business, or was it kind of right? I'm just going to stop doing that, and this is what we do now. It's kind of an kind of an evolution, uh, but it now it's now that that's the whole uh, thing. And I I'm a great believer is that you've got to do what you want to do because you love it. Uh, if you're working in a job that doesn't make you passionate, or you find it 
unfulfilling, then find something else that does serve you because we work, what, 33% of the day, half of our daily lives, uh, Monday through Friday. And if you're doing something that doesn't fulfill you, then that that's... Um, that's a disappointing place to find yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. And so looking forward, what's, what's the business going to look like in 10 years' time? There's a number of personal things and uh, and business things that, that need to align. It's definitely a business that is not entrenched in one particular place. So it, it needs to enable me to be able to, if I if 10 years' time, my partner and I, she'd be kite surfing and I'd be doing triathlons in little parts of the world in warm climates. Uh, so that would be the vision. And in order to do that, I would want to be doing my sales success, sales coaching, sales enablement in different places. But by then, it has a modular uh, system to it that's online. It has a brand. And there are a number of people that are able to coach the methodology, come along with the same energy and vibrancy uh, as I would be able to do. And it's a number of different people applying the principles of my sales success system uh, to other business owners around the world. Uh, There's also a uh, director's forum club where that's a peer-to-peer support system where people go for honest challenge, uh, transformation, feedback, uh, personal review, and business building, which is also running uh, UK or even globally on the basis that they go to the regular directors forum meeting to talk about stuff that business owners might find useful. And they also then network and transform together in a very like-minded, honest and trustworthy way. Yeah. And in terms of planning, what are the steps that you need to achieve to get to that point? And how are you doing? Well, I'm a bit anal on planning. Uh, I have a, a 90 day cycle and I so I, I spend a whole day going through what I call my wheel of life. So it'll be, it'll be rated on a number of different quadrants around financials, fun, business, spirituality, relationships, energy, health. And I rate myself on those. And wherever I find that I've got a bit of a chink in the wheel, that's my area of focus. And I'll say, right, what do I need to do in the next 90 days to iron out that wheel? But also, what do I need to do in the other seven quadrants to make sure that I'm moving towards my future uh, destiny. So as long as something in the 90 days is working towards my three and five and 10 year vision, then that's cracking on and good. And then I'll rate myself every morning to say, yesterday, did you do something around your eight quadrants? Yes or no? And if I didn't, uh, where's the pattern? Why am I avoiding something? What's the bit that I'm putting off or procrastinating on? And how long on why is that uh, going to be able to be carried on? And then I'll review that after 90 days, go back and look at it the 90 days, uh, and then reapply the same methodology for the next 90 days. So it's a pretty rigid system, uh, but it has accountability baked in all the way through. So on day one to day 68 to day 72, you could up my open up my workbook and I could show you my 90 days, my eight different quadrants, and I would rate myself yesterday how I performed. It sounds a bit anal, doesn't it? When I talk about it like that. <laughs> well, it, it, it works for me. Yeah. It, yeah, it sounds like a system that, that fits together. And as you say, habits, um, once you get into a habit of doing something, it's much easier to carry on doing it. You know, I, I um, probably not quite achieving what you're achieving, but I go for a run. Um, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And that's just baked into my routine. And when that doesn't happen, I don't feel, I feel bad about it. I was going to say, I don't feel good, but no, I actually do feel bad that for some reason I'm not doing it. I've got a meeting that I've got to be at that's making me leave early or, you know, I've got, I've got to be somewhere or I've got to do something or I'm just not feeling up to it because I've injured something. And yeah, I feel, I feel bad about missing my run and it doesn't, yeah, in fitness terms, one run doesn't make a lot of difference, but it's the habit of, it's a positive habit, but it's a habit of doing something yeah. every day. But there are things that you can do. So in the morning, if you were leaving the house, 
simply by putting your running shoes on the doorstep when you come back in again and making the running shoes the first thing that you do. And the, and the habit is when I get in, I must put my running shoes on, which now suggests to the head that I'm now going to do a run. There are things that you can do to conditionally form a habit to be something that you see. I'm stupid thing is the idea was I, I work in my loft and every time I go down the stairs, I commit to do 10 press-ups or 10 sit-ups or 10 uh, knee bends. And that sounds ridiculous. But when you do that over the day, it means, wow, today I've done 60 press-ups. But if I said to myself in the morning, Chris, do 60 press-ups, I'd be like, oh, come on. Are you joking? I don't want to do 60 press-ups. But when I put the press-ups connected to stairs, my body now says I'm going downstairs and I need to do 10 press-ups. And it's a really weird way of telling the brain that when you do this thing, you know, you, what do you do? You brush your teeth. You, of course, you get your toothbrush out. You put the toothpaste on. It's a conditioned habit that is applied to. But imagine when you put your toothbrush away, uh, you then turn around and sing a song or whatever it is, or you want to read three pages of a book. So connecting a habit to something you're already doing is a really easy way of making it stick. Fascinating. I'm going to have to get a, an exercise mat in the corner of the office. <laughs> I just look at... Tell other people you're doing it. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, I, if I had, you know, doing the same thing, if I just had a, like a yoga mat sort of thing by the door that I have to step over and yeah, just dis- just say, right, I'm not allowed to step over it. I've got to you know, do 10 press ups or something. Yeah, that'd be a huge difference. Hmm. Through to thought. And have you got a plan in mind in terms of your run? You're, you're, are you running for a purpose at the moment or are you just running for, for the sake of running? I'd like to get another marathon done. But at the moment, I'm I'm just stuck at really short distances because uh, every time I run, my ankles swell up. I look like an old lady. So I'm trying to get through that, which is quite a lot of chiropractic because there's something sticky in my hip, which we've now identified. And then when you look back over your whole life, you realize that that's probably what stopped you sitting cross-legged like everybody else at primary school is the fact that my hips just aren't as flexible. So yeah, it... I've always had that and it's always it's obviously been the cause of various injuries through my life and fortunately touch words nothing nothing major but those little niggly running injuries and things that you get and aching limbs when you're skiing and things and it's like ah it all starts to connect together now it's only taken 50 odd years to find that out (laughs) which is annoying but um i'm hoping now now that we've identified it it's actually something that can be sorted out by you know i might have to take up yoga or something to get that flexibility in there but then yeah another marathon would be good i'm never going to be i don't i don't think i'll ever be a strong enough swimmer to do a triathlon i'd love to do that but i think uh, you know people would be cycling in uh, while I'm still going up and down doing my breaststroke. I believe me, believe me, Paul. I have seen some sites that you would never believe possible could even get into a piece of lycra on a triathlon. Uh, it's such an inclusive sport. The only sport that is all about your own individual pursuit of getting to the finish line, uh, and it's a lack of. Well, there was there are other sports, but it's such an anti-competitive aspect of everybody's in it together. And you'll cheer on the slowest, you'll cheer in, cheer on the bravest, and it's just about everybody getting to the finish line because everybody's got their own different personal journey and their own personal story. And, and I think it's a very respectful sport around the fact that it's inclusive and just get to the finish line and celebrate the win at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very much the same with um, with marathon running. That, um, yeah, I certainly didn't go out there expecting to win anything. Not at my age doing a first marathon, but just the achievement of getting past that finish line and getting a medal put around your neck. It's just like, it's incredible. So yeah, I'd like, I'd like to do that again, but 
he's doing it again. It's just, it's again then. It's not, I've done a marathon. It's like, I've done another marathon. So I may have to choose something a little bit um, harder that maybe involves hills or something like that. I'll follow you. I'll follow you around somewhere. Well, go and follow Simon Middleton, who we both know. He he, he, had, he is running to another level in terms of uh, ultras. Okay, so back back to the interview. Um, if I was to put a million pounds into the uh, Adamo bank account today, what would that enable? What would it mean? And what would you do with it? I'm not a great one of sitting down and having huge amounts of luxurious gifts. If it was a million pounds today in my bank account, it would be what impact can I have for other people for that to happen? And if there's a group of disenfranchised or unable entrepreneurs that want to be able to challenge their own mindset or belief structure, then I would want to set up something that would enable people to come along and experience some teaching or transformative experiences that just says to them, there's another way of working. There's another way of living. And everybody has got hidden potential that sometimes other people bash out of them. So yeah, it would be about doing something, setting something up that would be sustainable and give access to more people to experience habit-changing professionalism around sales. Yeah, I think you should be pitching that to the UK government because I think there's a lot of people that need dragging up again after you know, after the last year we've had. Um, some people have come out of it with a real downer, real difficulties of facing up to getting back to working and working in a new way so i think yeah you should uh, you should pitch that i need a million pounds tomorrow in order to get this out there i doubt you'd be successful but you bloody should be <laughs> well that we live in from a perspective of neuralistic programming we live in a world of cause or effect and what that means is that you can live day by day because of your environment or despite your environment and the person that wakes up and just thinks Do you know what i don't care what's going on today i don't care what i've read in the news i don't care what i see because what I believe is that I can do this. And when you have that mentality of thinking I can do without hindrance of somebody saying, no, you can't, you can just break through so much. Uh, and that's what I really love, love doing is looking the naysayer in the face and just saying, I don't care what you just said. I'm going to try it anyway. So uh, yeah, live in, live in cause or live, in, live despite your environment, not because of your environment. Definitely. But I, from my point of view, I think you've got to change that I can to I will. Um, Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'd, not just that I could, I could do that, but I will do that or I'm doing that. Or even from a sales course, I have to make 10 calls today. Do you know what? I get to make 10 sales calls today. Just that tiny, tiny nuance shift as opposed to having to, to I get to. It's become a privileged position of being able to call people around changing their sales structure uh, and, and selling services. Yeah. And yeah, and putting that positive spin on something that just gives you permission to enjoy it and to smile about it rather than um, it being another chore, another thing that you've got to do today. So, yeah. <laughs> Can't take anything away from myself. It's been a tricky year. Uh, I'm not. I don't wake up every morning and think, "Oh, fantastic! What a positive day and what a positive life I lead." Uh, I, I've also had failures. I've also had lessons. I've also had knocks. I've also had days where I've not been uh, bothered and I've just sat and binged on bloody Netflix and scrolled too much on social media. I, I don't sit here in Ivory Tower saying I'm brilliant, but it's the it's making sure that it doesn't happen the second day. As soon as you connect bad thoughts to bad habits that then become slippery slopes, that's when you've really got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Chris Wilson, thank you very, very much for joining us, for sharing 
a little bit of your journey about what you do and how you do it. If it resonates with some of our listeners, and I'm sure it will, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? My LinkedIn platform is my go-to place. So if you just, uh, Chris Wilson Sales Coach is the best place you'll find me on LinkedIn. I do at least two extensive posts a week and one vlog on a Friday. So uh, go to there and you'll find me talking more about sales and giving value back. Uh, on sales enablement and sales habits. Fantastic. And I think it's brilliant the the amount that you give away on there, the vlogs in particular. I really enjoy watching. So thank you for that. Thank you for those. Thank you very much for joining us. All your contact details will be in the show notes. Uh, so anybody that's interested can hop on there, read a little bit more and reach out to you and hopefully get their sales working, get their mindset more positive and uh, grow as a as business people themselves thank you very much indeed chris it's been a pleasure paul thank you for the opportunity i, I look forward to seeing your marathon posts in the next couple of years and if not a marathon then something else uh, i look forward to seeing your own journey uh, because you've uh, you've also got some really nice lessons and uh, stories to tell thank you thank you chris thanks